So good to worship with everybody this morning. You know, we're going to continue, uh, you know, we're going to take the offering right now, so the ushers are going to receive that. And, you know, for me personally, this is always an additional part of worship, is just worshiping God with uh, my finances. And so uh, as the ushers come to take that, I, I just ask that you have a, a worshipful posture in your heart. Um, while they receive the offering, I also just want to, I want to just talk a little bit about where we're going today. I've set this up for the last couple of weeks, said we're doing something really unique, and, and um, that's what's going to take place now. But um, before, I'm going to be sharing the teaching today, and before I do that, I just want to talk for a minute. Um, it's probably 2013, I think, was the year that, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, came home uh, after preaching services, and I was kind of unwinding later in the day, and I was looking at my iPad, I was kind of going through news articles, you know, kind of looking at the news on my iPad, and I came across an article, like way down on the news feed, like way, way, way down, I came across this article about a famine that was taking place in East Africa, and uh, I, I got reading it, and it was like, I was shocked. I, I thought this can't actually be happening. In fact, the article was saying that children by hundreds and hundreds of thousands were going to be dying, were already dying because of this famine that was taking place. And I literally had one of those moments where I stopped and I thought, this can't, how can this be happening and no one's talking about it? And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, is this an article from like, you know, 1988 and somehow, you know, it's been reprinted. I was, I couldn't figure it out. And uh, I start digging and doing a little bit of research and realize it was 100% accurate that there was a famine taking place. And there wasn't one major news outlet that was really talking about. It was nowhere in the headlines. It was just kind of our typical nonsense. And then there's this major humanitarian crisis taking place. And it just wrecked me. In fact, I remember that day so clearly because in that moment, there was something that happened in my heart. And it was this. I had decided years and years ago that I never want to be the kind of person that wasn't aware of humanitarian crisis around the world. Uh, you know, I was, I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, you know, and I, I remember, you know, the, the famine in Ethiopia. I remember walking through those years. I remember hearing about the Rwandan genocide after the fact. And I remember when I heard about that, I thought, I never want to hear about something like that again after the fact. I want to be the kind of person that can do something about those kinds of things that take place in our world. And so when I read that article, there was this deep conviction, like, how did I get here? How did I get to be the kind of person that doesn't know about these things and much less is not doing anything about these sorts of things. And uh, I just remember being in angst in that moment and then I just thought, I gotta do something. Like, we have to do something. And I was thinking about the local church and I thought, the local church has to be mobilized to do something about these kinds of things going on in our world. And, and so I was sitting there and I suddenly had this thought, this, this idea, there was this guy who was occasionally attending our church. When he was in town, I found out later he was visiting his daughter, I would see him out in the crowd and he looked really familiar. And it turns out he was really familiar. His name was Rich Stearns and he was the president of World Vision, the largest Christian humanitarian organization in the world. And he was sitting in my church on a regular basis listening to my preaching. And so the next day I got into the office Monday and I went to my assistant and I said, hey, I've been seeing Rich Stearns in the audience and there's this thing that's been happening in, in East Africa and we gotta do something something. Like, we have to do something to solve this whole thing. And so I said, could you get a hold of him and see if somehow I might be able to have a conversation with him? I want to learn more about this organization. Well, the next day she walks in my office and she says, hey, I spoke with Rich's assistant and he'd like to have a conversation with you this week. And I said, that was really fast. And she said, oh, I haven't even called yet. He called you because he felt led to call you and talk with you about World Vision. 
It's one of those moments, you know, where you just realize like God's doing something in my heart and God was doing something in, in his heart. And I began to find out the heart behind World Vision and what it does. The number one provider, non-governmental provider of clean water in the world. The number one provider of food to the World Food Program. Um, the, the, the work that they do holistically in communities is beautiful. And so that began a partnership when I was at Summit that I have been excited to introduce you guys to. In fact, um, Danny Cole is going to speak with us today. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and welcome you up here. Danny um, lives a couple hours north of us on the I-5 corridor. And we actually planned this for 18 months ago. Um, and we just kept kind of rolling the date back and rolling the date back. And finally, we just said, kids can't wait any longer for this kind of thing. And what we need to do, we need to do now. And so uh, whether it's masks on or pandemic or not, whatever it is, we decided today's the day. So Danny's from World Vision and her and her husband have two beautiful kids and uh, she's gonna share with us and then I wanna come back up and we're both gonna share with you a few more things about a unique opportunity that is facing us today. So why don't you welcome Danny as she shares with us from God's word. Good morning, B4 Church. It's good to be with you. My name is Danny Cole, like Brad said. I'm from Puyallup, Washington. And you know that's true because I can say Puyallup, right? You know, you're from the Pacific Northwest, if you could say the name of my hometown. So that's my claim there. Well, hey, I want to take a second to welcome the online community. I understand that you are joining us from all over the world. So just thank you so much for um, being with us this morning. Um, well, one thing that Pastor Brad did not share about himself and his history with World Vision is Pastor Brad has done some kind of crazy things with us. He has summited a few mountains, including Mount Kilimanjaro. He has ran some races. He has personally fundraised all in the name of ending global poverty. So just thank you for your years of partnership. And it's such an honor to be with you um, today. Well, some of you um, know about World Vision. Some of you may not. Like Pastor Brad said, uh, we're a Christian humanitarian organization. We're the largest non-governmental provider of clean water and the largest provider of food aid in the world. And we've been serving the most vulnerable in about 100 countries for over 70 years. I and mean, that includes Haiti and Afghanistan. And I have to tell you, it's just so awesome to be with a church that when crisis hits, you all just spring into action. Um, so just thank you for that. Um, well, today I'm really, really excited to tell you about something awesome that God has been doing at World Vision. God has been, um, man, these last couple of years, there's been a renewing spirit within us. And it's been birthing these new ideas. And I can't wait to tell you about it um, in just a little bit. But for right now, I just want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever experienced radical reversal? Like you're headed in one direction in your life and then something happens and bam, all of a sudden everything is different. Well, my daughter, Emmy, God used her to radically reverse my life. But I want to rewind before I dive into Emmy's story, tell you a little bit about myself, give you a little context. Uh, when I was a little girl, I used to play Barbie like a lot of kids do. My friends, man, they loved playing mom Barbie and dress up Barbie. And I like to play CEO Barbie. 
I'm like, hand me the Barbie with the suit. I want to be boss Barbie. Like that is who God created me to be. And a few years ago, I was living out some of my awesome corporate Barbie dreams at the Tacoma Dome. I don't know if you're familiar. The Tacoma Dome is a 20,000 person event arena um, in Tacoma, Washington. And I was having so much fun. I was learning how to take a, a building from an RV show to Monster Jam in a couple of hours. Um, I was learning how to book concerts. I mean, I was having a blast. And one thing specifically that stands out about that, dear, about that time of my life um, was I remember, in fact, I'm going to say I can never unsee Miley Cyrus riding a giant metal hot dog through the air of a completely empty stadium as she ran through her dress rehearsal. So I was having a good time. Um, <laughs> my husband, James, and I, at the time, we had a growing family. I want to show you a photo of us during this time. This is April 2015. And um, my son was six weeks old at the time. He was just born. Um, my husband, that's James, and that's my daughter, Emmy, and she's two years old when that photo was taken. And this is a very special photo to our family um, because this is the last photo that we took as a family before everything changed. The night that this photo was taken, my daughter was up way past her bedtime. She'd been playing with her cousins, and I remembered she became she or she began walking towards me. And as she was walking towards me, I saw a small limp, like the smallest limp, like only one that a mother would see. One week after this photo was taken, Emmy was in so much pain she couldn't walk, and we found ourselves at the emergency department of Seattle Children's. It was one week after that photo was taken that we heard the words that no parent should ever have to hear. Your daughter has cancer, high-risk neuroblastoma, a solid tumor. She's given 50% chance of surviving. The world that I knew was totally shattered. I was broken. It changed everything. I didn't care about the thrills of my job anymore. I didn't care if I had one. The only thing that mattered was saving our daughter. And we were devastated and we were completely, we were completely shaken. But here's the thing, looking at God's word, do you know who I related to most during this time? This might surprise you, but it was the woman at the well. So if you open your Bibles to John 4, I'm going to show you exactly what I'm talking about. Well, you likely know the story of the woman at the well. So in the interest of time, let's just get caught up to speed about what's going on here. So there are three very obvious indicators that something really special is about to happen. So um, the first is Jesus and his disciples decide to go through the way through Samaria on their way to Galilee. Now there was a bitter religious difference between Jews and Samaritans of the day of that day, a difference that lasted well over 400 years. So I'm talking about like a deep divide, okay? So Jesus saying that he's going to go through um, Samaria is a really interesting choice. So that's clue number one. Something special is going to happen. Clue number two, there's a woman at the well at noon. Now noon is like the least popular time to gather water. It's super hot. Um, so we know from this that likely there's a lot of shame in her life. Um, she might be hiding. She's probably even been rejected from her community. And we know that because later we learn that she had five husbands. Um, so, so that's clue number two. There's a woman at the well at new, noon. Uh, clue number three is Jesus sits down with the Samaritan woman and begins a conversation. 
And that's a clue because during this time, Jewish men, Jewish rabbis did not speak to women in public, not their wives, not their daughters, not their sisters. So for Jesus to sit down with a Samaritan woman, we know something special is going to happen. So we're at John 4. We're going to start at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus, he's like the ultimate breaker down of barriers, right? He puts all of this to rest and he takes a moment to underscore the innate dignity of all. Just by sitting with her just by talking to her, by seeing her and accepting her, all of her. Then in verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? In verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. After this life-changing conversation, this interaction with Jesus, this woman went from hiding to testifying She went from completely avoiding her community to boldly running into the town and telling her fellow townspeople what the Lord had done for her. I mean, this was a radical reversal, a radical reversal of epic proportion. And and it isn't surprising that when our dear sister hears about this living water, that if she drinks it, she'll never be thirsty again. She wants it, right? I mean, imagine for a moment, you're going to fill up your tank of gas, right? Your, Your gas tank. And, uh... It cost you $45 last week. You're filling it up today. You're going to have to do it again next week. And right as you put your nozzle to the opening of the tank, someone comes and says, hey, if you want to use my gas, I have gas for you and and you'll never need to refill again. I'd be like, hold on. Am I on a game show? What is happening? (laughs) But I'd also probably think like, why me? I mean, I didn't deserve it. I didn't even ask for it. But I'd also be like, yes, sign me up for the free refills for the rest of my life. Yes, please. Right? This is exactly how the woman feels. Of course, she wants what Jesus is promising, but she hasn't earned it. She likely feels like she doesn't deserve it. And yet Jesus took this woman that was crippled by shame and he restored her brokenness. He affirmed her inherent dignity just by sitting with her. By listening to her, loving her, seeing and accepting all of her. And I see so much of myself in this woman. See, there was a time um, in Emmy's cancer journey that I was so ashamed of, so embarrassed about, I didn't tell anyone about it for years. Um, I only cried twice during Emmy's cancer journey. And I know that might sound weird, but it, I'm talking about that like gut-wrenching from the soul kind of cry. Only twice. And uh, the first time was the night that we had taken Emmy to the emergency room trying to find out why she was in so much pain. And after 10 hours, we found out our daughter has cancer. 
I um, calmly got up and walked out the room, down the hall to the family restroom, and I collapsed. I collapsed, and I just begged God to send it away. And I started asking God, how could you do this? How could you do this to her? You're supposed to love her more than me. How could you hurt her? I cried some deep and painful tears, and um, eventually I stood back up. I started gathering myself together because I knew it was time to be a strong wife, to be a strong mother. And I looked myself in the mirror, and I felt so ashamed. I was so ashamed. I knew God was with us. I knew he loved her. I knew he loved her more than me. And I knew that he was going to use her in ways, regardless of the outcome, in ways that I would never be able to understand. Well, then friends and family, they started hearing about Emmy and what our family was going through. And our social media, our text messages, our emails just started exploding with encouragements and prayers and, and emails and, um, and Bible verses. And for the first time in my life, I actually began to feel God's love in a tangible way. And I got a sweet taste of that living water. But while our life came to a grinding halt, I mean, everything stopped for us, everyone else's life went on, right? Graduations happened, birthday parties came and went, babies were born, holidays were celebrated, and we were stuck fighting Emmy's cancer. And it could have been really easy for us to be forgotten or to be left behind, but we never were. We always felt seen and we were always felt dignified. Our circumstances were broken, but we were taken care of. And during the time, and this is what I mean by that, is uh, uh, during Emmy's cancer journey, journey, we stayed in the hospital for over 200 nights. And during that time, we drank well over 500 cups of Starbucks coffee. But we never paid for one. Because every morning, we woke up with gift cards in our email inbox. We never mowed our lawn yet it was always perfectly manicured. I lost my job, but we never missed a mortgage payment. God was with us. We were feeling his love in a tangible way. It was as though he was just sitting with us. <laughs> like he was seeing us, all of us, just like he did with the woman at the well. Well, Emmy did finish her treatment three years ago. And uh, there she is. <laughs> it was just over a year ago that we finally did hear the words that we've been waiting to hear. Emmy is healed. And I just praise God for that. And I'm so thankful. But I want to take a moment to say that not every story ends like ours does. And I will never understand why Emmy made it. And so many kids don't. Why well, Emmy gets to live and while kids in Haiti and um, in Afghanistan are suffering. Through Emmy's journey, um, God radically reversed my life. I mean, let's think about this, you guys. Instead of watching Miley Cyrus riding a giant hot dog through the air, I'm right here today. Okay, that's a radical reversal. If it, if it isn't, I don't know what is. <laughs> But for a moment, can we just pause and consider how God sees us? 
I mean, he sees all of us. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly, the moments on the bathroom floor that we are so ashamed of. He sees us and then he chooses us. He loves us. He died for us. He gave us everything. I know you probably already know this in your head, but when is the last time that you really did own it in your heart? Because when we accept this foolish love of God personally in the depths of the soul of our souls, we live into the fact that he chooses us. We are his beloved. And what does he ask us to do in return with this foolish love and acceptance? He asks us to do the same for others, but especially for the poor. Did you know that in Jesus's earthly ministry, he talked more about caring for the poor than he did anything else? more than tithing, more than sinning. He said, take care of the poor. But let's take a step back. What does that actually mean to do the same for others? How do we actually do this? Well, it means two things. If you remember in Matthew 25, Jesus calls those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are homeless, hurting, those who have the least in this world, he calls them brothers and sisters. And in doing so, is affirming their inherent dignity. I mean, how intentional is this? How powerful is this? Jesus knows, though, that we as humans, no matter how good our intentions are, we have a tendency to protect this false narrative that if you have less, you are less. Therefore, if I have more, I am more. But in that one small but holy sentence, when Jesus calls them brothers and sisters, he completely destroys the misconceptions of our world and radically reverses our beliefs. And he says, no, just because people have have less does not mean they are less. They bear my image. And so when restoring their broken circumstances, don't you dare forget to affirm their inherent dignity as image bearers of the one true king. And from the beginning, Genesis 1:27, we know that God created humanity, men and women. He created us in his image. And this is our inherent dignity. God created us all equal. And from all this, we know that we are called to restore broken circumstances. Surrounding the most vulnerable and the most impoverished people in the world to provide relief so that others can feel God's love in that tangible way. When we restore broken circumstances and we affirm inherent dignity, do you know what we'll see? God's radically reversing kingdom in action. Not only are the, the people that we serving, not only the people that we serve are their lives going to be changed, but entire communities can be transformed and God will change us in ways that we never thought possible. I want to share another photo with you. Um, this is Oraness. I will never forget the first time I saw this photo. I was sitting with my husband on the couch and we were going through sponsor packets looking for a kiddo that needed to be sponsored when we came across this and we stopped. I mean, look at those eyes. I couldn't help but wonder, was she scared? Was she mad? Was she worried? Well, Ornus is now our uh, sponsor child. She's been a part of our family since 2017, and I had the very rare opportunity to meet her shortly after we sponsored her. 
Um, but I was really nervous because those same eyes that drew me in, I knew there was a deeper story. And I couldn't help but wonder, does she have access to clean water? Does she get to go to school? Is she healthy? Did I just invite a child into my life that might not make it? Well, I finally did meet Ornus and her mom, and I found out that it was shortly before um, Ornus was born, her mom was walking for water every day. She walked a half hour a day, um, six times a day, to a water source that was dirty. It was contaminated. She shared it with animals. She used it to cook with, to clean with, to drink, and made them sick. She made that walk six times a day. That's six hours of walking for dirty water every single day. And this absolutely could have been my Oranessa's story. But because of the way that I've seen God's tangible love in Oranessa's community through the work that World Vision has been doing, this is not her story. Because of the work that has been done, um, her community is thriving. I want you to check out this photo. So this is a, um, this is a clinic um, that, that was their old clinic. At any given time in that tree behind the building, there'd be 60 to 80 people waiting to be treated. And today, this is their clinic. This clinic can treat hundreds. Their community, they, all these kids, they get to go to school, but not only are they going to school, they have reading camps. I mean, that's just a camp for kids who want to read a little bit more. Oranus, she wants to be a nurse, she loves math, and she can be. Because listen to this, their people have been trained to maintain their new water sources themselves. Young girls are being empowered through clubs. Women are leading through savings groups. Their economy is growing through co-ops. And they're doing so well that they're going to be standing on their own without world vision in just a short couple of years. I mean, this is restoring broken circumstances. This is affirming inherent dignity. And in the next few moments, um, I'm going to be inviting you all to bring this radically reversing, tangible love of God from B4 Church to children and families in Rwanda. Today, I'm going to invite each and every one of you to sponsor a kiddo for $39 a month. And together, we're going to restore broken circumstances and affirm inherent dignity. But like I mentioned, there has been a renewing spirit at World Vision birthing new ideas, and it has changed everything. Typically, what I would do is I'd say, if you'd like to sponsor a kiddo, go ahead and head out the doors, look at some sponsor packets, and choose a kid that's, that you want to sponsor. But God led us to ask the question, what would it look like if this whole thing was radically reversed? What would it look like if the children were empowered to choose you.
Now this Wednesday, there's going to be some amazing parties thrown in Rwanda called the B4 Church Choosing Party. And the guests of honor are going to be kids that you are empowering, that you are bringing hope to through the power of choice. And in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to step out to the lobby, or if you're at home, I'll have instructions for you as well, and take the most epic photo of your entire life. And we're going to send those photos to Rwanda. Now, normally, Pastor Brad and I, we would have hopped on a plane. We would hand deliver those photos. We would have been there for the choosing party. Unfortunately, travel's not happening right now. And like Pastor Brad said earlier, we cannot wait. These kids cannot wait. And the time is now. Um, So this week, we're going to send your photos to Rwanda. And the children are going to walk into a classroom or a tent or wherever their choosing parties are happening. And they're going to study your faces. And something inside of them is going to click, and they are going to choose you. Now, in preparation um, for this weekend, Pastor Brad, myself, and a handful of leaders, we had an awesome Zoom call where we got to meet the the staff in Rwanda. And this is Maria right there in the highlighted box. Maria and her colleagues, they are the hands and feet of Jesus. They are in the field. They are doing um, the work that is being funded um, And she took some time to tell us a little bit about uh, the partnership between Rwanda and World Vision started in 1994 during the Hutu-Tutsi genocide. And since then, we have been continually to persistently pursue reconciliation. Um, And it's led to improvements in education, economic development, clean water projects. Um, But I haven't been to Rwanda with World Vision, but Pastor Brad... I know you have. (laughs) You have. So can you tell us a little bit about your time there? Yeah, absolutely. And before I, you know, I'm going to back up just for a moment and and just share something that isn't hitting the news right now. For the first time in like 25 years, global poverty is increasing as a result of the pandemic. So when we talk about this, this is the first time in 25 years that things have gotten worse, not better, because of what's going on in our world, which is why we said we have to do this now. Um, I was in Rwanda just shortly before I came to B4, actually the summer, right before, in fact, I made the decision to come here right after getting back from Africa. And I, I was in Rwanda to see some things that are really remarkable, to see the work of World Vision, but also to see what areas are like before World Vision gets into a particular region. And I got a couple of pictures that I wanna show you. The first one, is, uh, is an image that I took while sitting in the living room of a home. Uh, I was sitting here, I uh, was brought into this house. A couple of village leaders came and sat with me and they began to plead with us to bring clean water to their community because clean water, by the way, kills more people or dirty water kills more people every year than anything else, more than a pandemic by far. Um, waterborne illness is the biggest killer in the world. And these guys knew it and they just said, would you please do everything you can? We need water in this village. And I, I took this picture because there was just a sense of desperation when I sat there, and you could feel the tension in the air, especially as it compared to what I'm going to show you in just a minute. We went from here um, to their water source. We actually got the big cans, and we walked down to their water source, and I've heard stories about this. I never imagined I'd see it with my own eyes. Um, There's this filthy water source beneath their village. We walked about a half a mile to three-quarters of a mile to get to it, down a hill. When we got there, there was a man hitting a child, getting him out of the way, abusing him, which I'd heard stories about, and we literally had to intervene, and it was like normal behavior for these kids to get beat up while they're collecting filthy water to take back to their village. And so we participated in this with them and my heart broke. 
Uh, especially broke because about 15 minutes away driving is another village and the children in this village have water at several different places in their, in their community. That's one of the first things that World Vision does when they get there is they create safe water, safe health conditions, they begin to bring education. And this particular community, when you see the kids, um, these children, there was this like brightness to them. There was this joy. There was color. There was laughter. People were healthy. And we actually talked to the regional medical worker, and he was saying that virtually illness is eradicated from these villages, and children, as a result, are in school, and they're actually learning and growing. And unbelievable difference. Um, and I think one of the most dynamic things for me going to Rwanda was uh, Sherry and I sponsored three kids through World Vision, and we got, I got to meet one of them. Ange Bolin uh, is right here. Um, when I met her that day, it was a surprise. I didn't know I was meeting her. And we, I was in one of the offices for World Vision, and her and her dad came walking in. And um, I knew her immediately when I saw her, because like Danny, we had picked her card. She looked angry and spicy when we picked her uh, on a Sunday morning. She was just a fiery little girl. And we were like, okay, that kind of goes with our family. We've got a lot of fiery women in my house. And, uh, and so we, we took her. And um, to sit with her dad and have him look me in the eyes and thank me personally for the difference that we've made, not just in her life, but in all of his family's life, because every child sponsor that impacts five other kids and so um, he was just saying, our whole world is different because of this. And he was telling me about his job that he works and all these different things. And uh, my heart just, my heart breaks for the country of Rwanda, but my heart also soars for the country of Rwanda because of what God is doing there and how powerful he's moving in that place uh, among churches and also through world vision. It is just a beautiful thing that's taking place. And so, um, so we're choosing Rwanda, we're, or we're going to be chosen by Rwanda. And uh, why don't you give us some instructions on what that looks like. Yeah, so some of you might be wondering, am I gonna be chosen? You know, I know you might have some scars from the days where you played kickball <laughs> and like you might've been chosen last, but I promise you every single person will be chosen. Um, can, I, can I stop? Yeah. Right. Um, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna run out of time, but here we go. So chosen was a pilot. Uh, with a church in Chicago, and I actually climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with the person that was leading that in Chicago. And when I heard the stories of what took place when they reversed this process, it was really beautiful. When we reversed the power dynamic and we put ourselves in a position to be chosen, it does something powerful in the kingdom. I believe that. I believe when we do, like we sang earlier, we make ourselves available and we just say, here I am. There's something that God does through this chosen process. And there's, there's one story... Um, of a woman who didn't think she was going to get chosen. And they took her picture over, I think it was, were they in Tanzania? I think is where they did that first one. And so Tanzania. And then um, when she got back, the kids write a letter of why they chose you. And this little girl wrote to her and said, I chose you because you're beautiful. And the woman just started bawling and she said, I don't know, I can't remember the last time somebody told me I was beautiful. And God just did this beautiful thing in her heart because she put herself out there. So, so we're going to do the same thing. Here we go, guys. This is how you're going to do it. So if you have a smartphone, go ahead and pull that out. And we're going to want you to get started before you head out to the lobby. So pull out your phone and text 56170. If you're here in person, in the body of the, of the text message, just type in B4. Now, if you're online, 
Go ahead and type in B4 online to that same number, 56170. Um, and if you don't have a smartphone, you have two options. You can either head out into the lobby. We have people there who are available and ready to help you get through this process. If you're online, online you can also um, just go to our website and we'll have a, a actually a special website just for your church thrown up here in just a moment, worldvision.org backslash B4. Um, that's going to be step number one. So get that started, 56170, text B4. Um, the second thing you're going to want to do is take the most epic picture of your life, like I said. So after you get started, you're gonna head back either out those doors or these ones over here to the right, and you're gonna go ahead and get in line, and we're gonna take that photo for you, and that's the photo that we will be sending over to Rwanda. If you're at home or your family isn't with you today, you can also upload a photo if you aren't able to get to our booths. And then lastly, once you um, sign up, you're gonna get a confirmation email, and there's a invitation to join a Facebook group, and it's a special Facebook group just for this church. Um, and so we, as you're getting chosen, as every person is being chosen, your, your pictures are getting uploaded to this Facebook group. And Pastor Brad and I just cannot wait to see yeah. every person and every family that is waiting to be chosen and to just go through this together and encourage each other. So next week, when you come back to church, there's going to be a wall of envelopes with your name on it. Now, when the kids choose you, they're going to write you a letter and tell you why they chose you. And you're going to receive that in an email in a couple weeks. But next week, you get to come in, find your envelope, open it up, and see the kiddo who chose you. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, we, we've watched a number of videos of these parties. And uh, in fact, we watched one this week that happened in Rwanda previously. And just watching kids come in and scan the faces of people in a church who have decided to put themselves out there is such a beautiful thing. So we're really excited about it. If you don't have your smartphone, by the way, feel free. There's still ways to do this. So if you are fumbling with your phone or don't want to mess with that, we'll get you through the process uh, one way or the other. Sound good? All right. All right. Why don't you guys stand with me? Matthew 25, verse 40, Jesus says, as you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. So may we be a church who loves the least of these the way that Jesus does in his name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys and we'll see you guys later. See you.